This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. Not Guy Benson today. He was smart enough to take off. It's Christmas week. Guy works his butt off. He said, what what sucker will work for me the Tuesday after Christmas, two days afterwards, when you get to a certain age like you guys, and, and the hangover is no longer like a next morning thing. We're, we're talking like a 48-hour process at this point. Oh, who is the man who really... Uh, should, should be seeing, uh, seeking some professional help. It's Joe Concha, of course, everybody. I filled in for Guy before. I am a Fox News contributor and a columnist for The Hill and periodic guest host on stations like these, which, hey, it's great. I got three hours here, and usually this sort of week, it's a tough time to do a radio show because there's usually not a lot going on. Well... What I've learned is that August is no longer the dead month where you take a vacation. And the week between Christmas and New Year's sometimes could be the most eventful. And one big, big, big story, if you've been watching Fox News or listening to the station, is obviously we have a massive, massive, forget crisis. I think the Biden administration calls it a challenge at the border. Uh, And I've heard a lot of people use the word crisis. We're at full-blown catastrophe at this point. I mean, you see the numbers that, that are coming in. Uh, I just saw a report uh, on the network recently. It says that, okay, encounters over the holiday weekend, holiday weekend, Christmas weekend, Christmas Eve on Saturday, Christmas on Sunday, 16,476 people came into this country illegally. 2,150 were expelled under Title 42. All right, so that's about one-eighth. And 14,326 people released into the country. You basically could almost fill up the rock, the Prudential Center, where I go to see my devil's play, where it holds about 17,000 people. Just in a holiday weekend, you're filling up whole arenas in this country. Five million people have crossed into this country illegally since Joe Biden took office. Think about what five million is. You want that in context? There are 27 U.S. states that don't have a population in total of five million. Ireland, where my relatives are from, that doesn't even have a population of five million. And already we're eclipsing that in just in two years alone. And when Title 42 goes away, and believe me, I think we save tapes on the show. We save we save tapes. Okay, good. It's going away. I, I hate to say it. It's not that the Supreme Court is dumb or that they're liberal. It's just that you can't say that, okay, Title 42 is in place because of a pandemic that no longer exists in any real capacity, right? Yeah, I guess people are still getting sick and people are still dying, but it's, it's, it's part of it's, – it's another disease now that you can get that can kill you, 
right? 99.9% of you won't die of it, but it's still something that's here. The point is that it was created because we are in a full-blown pandemic, and now, obviously, things have changed. I talked about full sports arenas. You saw it over the weekend with, with all the NFL games. I'm watching a bowl game here right now with Buffalo and Georgia Southern. Who knew uh, that, that, that those two teams uh, were bowl-worthy? And then I'm looking at a packed stadium down in, I think it's Shreveport, Louisiana. The point is that Title 42, if, if we're just looking at judges, justices that say, all right, based on the law and based on the Constitution and based on what Title 42 is created for, should it exist anymore? And if the argument is, well, it has to because it, it at least somewhat stops an overwhelming, overwhelming amount of people coming into this country. Now we're just at overwhelming. It, it, it doubles uh, once Title 42 goes away. Just from a legal perspective, in, in speaking to like the Jonathan Turleys of the world, right, the Andy McCarthy's of the world, uh, our, our legal experts on Fox, they believe that this is probably regretfully going to go away. So without Title 42 and without Remain in Mexico, uh, a policy under the Trump administration that was very effective, and obviously with the wall being halted by this administration on day one, this is what you have, essentially an open border. And Governor Greg Abbott, Texas, he's the one dealing with this probably the most right now, outside of obviously the governor of Arizona. And and here's what he had to say recently on Special Report with Brett Baer. Go. What a political stunt is, is what the Biden administration is doing by ignoring the fact that people are, are coming across the border illegally every single day. And so what Texas has to do, we have to respond to what's happening on the ground. The only people that we are busing are, are the people that uh, the, the Border Patrol has already processed their papers, allowing them to legally remain in the United States of America, who are overwhelming small little towns on the border that have no capability whatsoever of dealing with those migrants. New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C. are not only sanctuary cities, but they're far more capable uh, and have far more resources uh, to uh, house and take care of uh, those migrants who have come across the border. They are self-declared sanctuary cities. It's time they step up and start doing their job. And they're not stepping up and doing their job. Instead, they're panicking. They, they, they get a couple dozen folks off a bus, and, and they're declaring emergencies. And, oh, we can't handle this. How would you like to be a border town in Texas sometime? Right? How would you like to be El Paso? How would you like to be Yuma in, in Arizona, which is being completely overrun? And the, the, all these folks, Chicago, Washington, New York, oh, we can't handle this. Oh, it's, it's so inhumane what you're doing to these people. Are you kidding me? What is inhumane is we've had a record number of migrants die at the U.S. southern border this year. Nearly 1,000 migrants trying to cross over to U.S. soil died. Where's AOC? Because I thought she really cared about this issue about kids in cages and, and the treatment of migrants, and now nowhere to be found. But more importantly, forget the irrelevant congresswoman outside of social media from New York. Where is the vice president of the United States? The borders are the person in charge of fixing the problem. Nowhere near the border. She went there a couple months ago for about five minutes for a photo op. Didn't even go to an actual border town and then left and hasn't talked about it since. And insist to this day that the border is secure and the border is closed. But most importantly, the commander in chief and Joe Biden, the 46th president, refuses to go to the U.S. southern border because that would mean he would have to acknowledge that there is a catastrophe down there. He would have to speak to border officials and border patrol. These people, their morale is shot. All right. They, they, they have worked tirelessly for two years. They're, they're not built for this. Right. It, it's not built. The system is not built for this amount of people to be coming over. You take away Title 42. You're looking at something 
something like 15 to 18,000 people per day coming into this country. You do the math on that? Now we're close to 6.5 million people in one year entering this country. Think about what 6.5 million is for a second. That is nine times, nine times to quote Ferris Bueller, that the, the, the population of Washington, D.C., or Denver, Colorado, or Boston, Massachusetts, you are creating nine of these cities out of people who are here illegally, who will then take away so many of our health resources, healthcare resources. And trust me, my wife's a doctor. And every time she goes in, she works at what's called an urgent care. She was in a hospital for about 10 years. And once she had the kids working overnights and working all these crazy hours that you work when you work at a full-blown hospital, uh, that that wasn't going to happen anymore. So she went to something called an urgent care, which actually closes at night, right? So at 8 o'clock, basically, if you're not there at 7.59, then you're going to have to go to the hospital if you need treatment. So she, she went there because the hours were more manageable. And she is just completely overrun. I get texts like 10 minutes after she's in. She's like, we, 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 we got 35 patients in, in the waiting area right now. And these aren't the biggest facilities, by the way. And when we get a line out the door. And, and she's the only doctor there. Or maybe there's a, a second doctor there, depending on what shift she's, she's working that particular day. But, but the point is that we already don't have enough doctors for an aging population of legal U.S. citizens. What do you think is going to happen? When, when, what do you think? It's already happening when, when we just keep adding to the populations by mil- no other country this happens in. No one's making mass exoduses out of their countries and into Germany or into, God forbid, Russia or China or, or France or anywhere. This doesn't happen because they actually have borders and they enforce the law. We allow it to happen. And, and look, there was a midterm election. Just two months ago, was it two months ago? Boy, it feels like two months ago. Yeah, almost two months ago. And everything lined up for Republicans. I mean everything, right? The inflation rate being above 8%, six times higher than when Donald Trump took office. Inflation's high. Crime is running through the roof. Philadelphia is setting homicide records. Portland, a once tranquil city, setting homicide records. Minneapolis, New York, Chicago, Atlanta. Pick your Democratic-run city. And believe me, it is in another, not even crisis, it's a catastrophe now at this point. Where, where people are just, they don't want to go to New York. Like in my case, my friends, we don't go out to New York anymore at night. We, 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 we'll stay local, you know, because we'll, we, it's not worth it. Everywhere smells like weed. Ah, weed, Joe, big deal. I'm telling you, it hurts tourism when you want to bring your kids to Times Square. And it's just everywhere. And there's bodies just on the sidewalk, homeless everywhere, tent cities, the whole thing. That hurts your economy after a while, on top of the fact that so many people are moving out of the city because it's become too expensive to live in and it's not safe anymore. And why the hell would you give your tax dollars for something you get so little in return? And that's where you're seeing so many people move to places, not just Florida or Texas, but places like Kentucky or New Hampshire or Idaho, because you can work from anywhere now at this point, right? I mean, I'll share. I'm I'm doing this from my home right now in my laundry room. I I swear I am looking at a pile of clothes and I can't tell whether they're clean or dirty, which drives me crazy because they're most likely clean, but you smell them and you're like, well, I don't know. You wash it one more time. It's like milk. Is it really good past the due date? You don't quite know, so you throw it out. So that, that that's what I'm faced with at this point. The point is that you could work almost a lot of jobs, not all, certainly, but a lot of jobs, uh, particularly uh, given encryption and given the fact that now you don't have to fax something at the office anymore. You don't have to meet in the conference room anymore. You could do it by Zoom. So many people can work from so many different places, cheaper places, safer places, and they're doing it as a result of the crime catastrophe and then you move on to the border which we just talked about which which obviously is is, uh, it's not even like 
I wish I could say that this administration doesn't care. I just think they're completely incompetent. And I think they think ultimately that the party will benefit by allowing this many people into the country because eventually, I guess the goal will be to get them on voter rolls. And then obviously, hey, thank you for letting us in. We'll vote Democratic type of thing. Right. So everybody has their theories. But that one seems more and more plausible when you consider how little they're doing to stop this flow. And then finally, education. Education is a huge, huge issue in this country. You saw Glenn Youngkin win in, uh, in Virginia last year as a result of it. That was a deep blue state. Joe Biden won it by double digits. Youngkin runs on education, and he wins. And all these things are going sideways. And Republicans had this thing in the bag. How do you not win when those are the headwinds against the Democratic Party? And what happens? They barely gain a majority in the House, and they lose a seat in the Senate. They didn't even gain. All they had to do was gain one seat, and they gain control. They couldn't even do that. Because some of the candidates were profoundly horrible. Trust me. Dr. Oz, Pennsylvania, look, he's a Jersey guy. He's a Jersey guy who is on TV. If there's a guy who looks like he is not from Pennsylvania, it's Dr. Oz, right? And he lost to John Fetterman. Fetterman! And now MSNBC, they're, they're talking about how, you know, Fetterman, boy, you know, one day he could be presidential material. And I say, no, no, no. He's vice presidential material. And I say now, I say he joins Joe Biden on the ticket simply so he could have the yard sign that says, vote Biden, Fetterman. It's a no-brainer. I mean, come on. I mean, that's catchy. It's, you won't forget that slogan, right? It's a, that's a good one. It's better than I'm with her. That I know. This is, this, this is certain. So that, that's the problem here, that we could yell and scream all about, oh, this is horrible, what, what, what's happening at the border, and, and this administration is completely incompetent or apathetic and probably both. And yet, when it came time to vote for new leaders – a state like New York votes for Kathy Hochul, right? Basically the JV team of Andrew Cuomo, given everything that's going on in New York, over a guy who seems very competent and, and has his, his eye on the ball on Lee Zeldin. And she wins by like something like seven or eight points. So you wonder, well, what's going on? What, what are people voting for? And, and my, my final conclusion is that it's not a matter of voting for a party at this point. I think so many of us, are now, we're, it's so divisive and we hate the other side so much, right? And I don't, I don't hate anybody, but... It's the feeling that you get when you talk to voters out there. They are voting against a party. That's it. Automatically, they don't care if their savings are are going away. They don't care if they have a relative that was mugged last week. They don't care that, oh, they tried to get into an urgent care and they waited three hours because the health care system is overwhelmed. They don't care that we're something like, what are we, 38th right now in science and, and, and 12th in math in, in the world? China's number one. We're behind countries like Estonia, okay, and Ireland. They don't have the resources we do uh, in terms of technology, in terms of money allocated, nothing. And you see where we are in terms of education. And everybody saw all this, and particularly independents and those who are Democrats who may have voted Republican uh, a while ago, who may have voted for like a George W. Bush over an Al Gore or Reagan over a Carter, right? And now, or Trump for that matter, over a Clinton. And now we're like, nope, for whatever reason, they are just trained against the Republican Party that no matter what is happening in this country, they will never, ever vote Republican. And the Republicans that will never, ever vote Democrat. But it seems like there's more of those folks than those who just say, okay, here's the state of the country, and here's how I'm going to vote accordingly. I, 1996 was the first year that I ever voted, and I voted for Bill Clinton. Because you remember, this before Monica, you had a roaring economy, and we were at peace, and the guy actually negotiated with the other side, said the era of big government's over, started welfare reform, and had something called a balanced budget amendment, which meant we didn't spend more than we have. Wow, novel idea. And I said, all right, 
This guy seems like he's doing a good job. I'll vote for him. I didn't care whether he was a Democrat or not. Those days are long over. Uh, any Democrat governing the way Bill Clinton did, believe me. Anyway, Joe Concha in for Guy Benson. Your hotline, 833-456-1300 or 1300 is the way most people say that. 833-456-1300. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson. we got Julie Banderas coming up. It's going to be a great interview. Please do stick around. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Well, well, well. You know, having the name Joe should have its advantages in this situation, right? Because you think about it, I got Joe Pesci, right? That's a cool Joe. Joe DiMaggio. Uh, Joe Piscopo, right? The great Joe Piscopo. Joe Torre won, won a couple of uh, World Series with the, with the New York Yankees, right? Joe Jonas from my uh, current town that I live in, Wyckoff, New Jersey, the Jonas Brothers. I could go on and on with the great Joes of all time. I was actually named after Joe Willie Namath. This is Joe Concha, by the way, in for Guy Benson, uh, which, which is remarkable because at the time, you know, Joe was basically a, a drunken gambler, you know, womanizer. My parents said, yep, that's the role model. Let's name him Joe Willie Concha. And that's that's apparently who I was named after. And I've met Joe uh, David since, and he's like the nicest guy. So I mean that uh, half jokingly. Uh, but Joe Biden, who has failed upwards all the way, usually when you fail upwards, there's a ceiling somewhere, right? I mean, you can't fail upwards only to a place that 44 other men had occupied. Remember, I think it was Grover Cleveland that was president twice, so to speak. Uh, so there have only been 45 presidents total. But he failed all the way up from, from basically, he finished almost last in his uh, law school, in his law school class. You know, he claimed that he, he finished uh, near the top. And then from there was... A senator from Delaware and decided to run for president 35 years ago. Think about that. That that was 1988 and had to drop out because of plagiarism with a capital P. We're talking word for word uh, from a guy who was running for prime minister of of Britain. And he just basically lifted speeches from him and then inserted his own name into into certain things, uh, including football, which over in, you know, obviously Britain means soccer. Uh, He he made it apply like he was like Joe Bulldog Biden, like, you know, some sort of like football hero uh, way back when. Uh, But but the point is that so that's should have been the end of Biden in 88, but no, uh, he kept uh, getting you know, selected for certain things like vice president of the United States by Barack Obama because Obama needed somebody who was older and had some foreign policy experience. So by default, Biden becomes vice president and then a once in a hundred years pandemic gets him elected to the Oval Office. So that's quite remarkable. And now this guy, I mean, I thought being president, that was kind of a hard thing, right? When you have to run the greatest country in the world and do it effectively, like a tireless job, right? It's something you would never wish upon anybody in terms of what you have uh, as far as a a job is concerned. But every weekend is a three-day weekend or a four-day weekend. Delaware, Nantucket, he's in St. Croix over this holiday weekend. He's supposed to be like the blue-collar guy from Scranton. And, man, he's like the richest 1% Joe Biden. Who knew? Who knew that being president could be so easy? And that's why when people say, you know, I don't think that Joe Biden's going to run again. And I say, I think he will, because, A, it's like trying to take car keys away from your grandfather, right? 
and 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 you you're not going to get him back. But also, he's like, this really isn't that hard of a job. I work about three days a week. I usually have one thing on my schedule per day, nothing ever early, and then I'm done. So yeah, I think he, he runs again, and even with Kamala and. Who the Republican nominee is going to be? We're going to ask Julie Banderas that when we come back on The Guy Benson Show on this Tuesday after Christmas on Fox News Radio. We're changing people's lives. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. Joe Concha in for the Apple Guy Benson. December 27th is that week. That week between Christmas and New Year's. I don't know about you. I'm not crazy about the whole holiday happening on a weekend thing. You know, I mean, I had to watch my fantasy football playoffs, but I'm hosting Christmas Eve, and I'm trying to keep one eye on the TV, but all the relatives are coming in, everybody's talking loud. I can't concentrate. I'd rather have, like, now be, like, the football Sunday, like, after Christmas as we, we recover from what was really the first full Christmas we've had since 2019. I mean, at least in, in this family. Anyway, 2020 was obviously uh, a complete and total waste. And then 2021, if you remember, this is only a year ago, but Omicron was was just massive in this country. And, and we, we had this wave like, like we hadn't seen since the beginning of the pandemic. And then as a result, two of my older relatives got COVID, so then we couldn't get together again. And then finally this year, we were able to uh, pull it off Christmas Eve. Christmas gained about 6.4 pounds or so, and now trying to lose that back. I'm doing this thing, this diet, where you don't eat. It's like it's called something fasting. I forget, and Julie Banderas is going to join us in a second. She can fill, fill me in on this. Uh, but basically – you don't eat for 16 hours. So you're done eating at like 6 o'clock at night, and then you can't eat the next day for, I don't know, until like 10 o'clock the next morning. Apparently, uh, this stuff works. Uh, not immediately, as I'm finding out. Uh, I still look like I'm in my second trimester. But for now, I think we're, uh, we're, we're looking pretty good as far as a skinnier Joe Conch on your Fox News in 2023. Anyway, let's bring in the aforementioned Julie Banderas. She's only won Emmys. You know, I won a Razzie once. I, I've never won an Emmy. Uh, she also is a mommy to three little humans and a pooper scooper for her two dogs. That at least is the way the Twitter bio reads. Jules, how are you? Hi, Joe. First of all, I love you, and you don't need to lose any weight. But it is called Thank intermittent you. fasting is what you're doing. Yes, and it does work, but you got to do it for like a week or two before you actually start to see results. And you're not supposed to eat after. What is – everyone – varies is you like are you like six o'clock at night that's when you stop eating I, I, yeah six o'clock that's that's when i eat the the dinner it's usually like some sort of chicken uh that that i like it's still tasty to me yet it, it's, it's not like kentucky fried but i guess it's somewhat healthy and to have like some some vegetables it's protein it. and no carbs at night that's the key that's the whole key okay very very yeah, good and, i mean i don't yeah. follow it but yes that is the key nor do you have to. I mean, it never looked better. And, and the glasses no, no. I think I saw today made, made a comeback, so that was good. Oh, I thank you. It's because I've had no time to go actually pick up new contact lenses that are waiting for me at my optician. So I have to go actually get those. So that's why I've been wearing glasses. But thank you. I appreciate it. 
Julie told me a great glasses story where she was with Fox 5 in New York. That's a local affiliate. And one time she wore glasses on the air, and her producer at the time says, Julie, don't do that anymore. You can't wear the glasses. But apparently all this fan mail came in because people like the whole librarian thing, I guess, going on. And, and, and you basically started like a whole trend that other people have since uh, latched on to. It got. It was a news director, and he actually ended up liking the way that the glasses. I guess like people liked the glasses. So then I got stuck with them permanently, and I wasn't allowed to go on the air without them, which was really strange. So one day I remember like I wore contacts to to work, and he sent me home to get my glasses before I went on TV. And so I was stuck with glasses for my entire tenure at Fox Five. That news director is no longer there. He was also <laughs> responsible. I, I no, you know, not to call out any names, Neil Goldstein, but he was oh. also responsible for my name change because, as you know, Banderas is not my real name. You know that, right? No, I had no idea. I just thought it was like a really cool name. Like if, like, oh, no, if I took no, you to the prom, I said, I'm going with Julie Banderas, and that sounds like, no, like a person. No, no, Concha. It's Bidwell. It's Bidwell? Bidwell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so when I got to this New York City station, this news director decided that he wanted to change my identity to appeal to a certain demographic in New York City. And yeah. uh, my agent was afraid it might have been a deal breaker. I was not happy about it. But moving into the number one market, I was pretty much willing to do just about anything. Not anything, Joe. Just, <laughs> just about anything. Yes. Let me be clear. I do have boundaries. Um, oh. And so I went ahead and did it. And they were like, yeah, no problem. In three years, my agent's like, we'll change it back to Bidwell. But then I got stuck with it because then everyone knew me as Vanderas. By the time I got to Fox News Channel, it would have been weird to all of a sudden take on a completely different name. And that's it sounds story. somewhat like Bid, Bid, uh, you know, Bidwell, right? It's not like your Whoopi Goldberg. Was well, Karen Johnson. With, you know why? My sister chose it. She goes, go with Banderas. You can go with JB. You keep your initials. But do you know yes. what? The first time that I ever signed off live as a reporter at Fox 5, I was downtown, and I signed off with reporting live in lower Manhattan, Julie Badwell, back to you. Oh. That's how I called myself. The very first time I said my fake name on TV, I said Badwell. I combined them. Oh, man. Fortunately, then there wasn't, you know, like YouTube or these, you know, people that call themselves Thank media God. reporters that watch like the network all day just to tweet about it, you know, without yeah. a context like clips and everything and like bad screenshots. So that didn't exist. That's so it's as if it didn't I happen. Am, that there, that's how old I am, that there was no I don't even think there was YouTube back then. That's sad. Well, you because got into broadcasting when you're 13, so let's let's remember that. Oh, OK. You know. Thank you. Yes, I know. I'm only 28. So I've been doing this quite some time. I started young. So. And you're an, you're an author you laughing, like me Joe? as well. Uh, I, I am love an laughing author. with you. Yes. And, and uh, <laughs> we both had books that were as I try to pivot out of this conversation. Uh, yeah, we I both had so. books out in September, right? And yours is uh, Fiona's Fantastical Fort. Tell us all about this wonderful children's book that I got for my kids well, and read to them out loud. You know, because you've had to hear me talk about it 10 million times. In fact, one day we were on a show together and you're like, hey, I wrote a book. Can't we talk about my book? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were getting paid by the uh, word. I, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I, I partnered with Brave Books. They're a Christian conservative book publishing company. Bravebooks.com is the website. You don't sell. We don't sell on Amazon. And uh, basically, they are an anti-woke book publishing company that are trying to teach morals and values to our children because obviously these days they're not getting a lot of that in school. So my book has a positive message, as does everyone. Mine is uh, the theme is perseverance. Just t- t- teaching kids basically to persevere and work through hard times. Life isn't always going to be easy. You're not always going to be served on a silver platter. You have to work hard to get to your goals. And at first you don't succeed. Try, try again. I don't think they teach that in schools anymore. So that's the message of my book, but it's a subscription-based book publishing company. I also have a treasure box, which is basically you get, if you go to bravebooks.com, you get my books, seven other books, including Kirk Cameron just came out with one. 
um, teaching kids about religion. God forbid, you know, we talk about that in schools. And you get seven books, a fort building kit, a compass, which I picked out personally. I want children to have a moral compass in their lives. I thought it would be fun to throw a compass into the fort building kit. And nice. a signed autographed copy of Fiona's Fantastical Fort. So, so it it's sounds a like a nice book with a, yeah, with a nice book, positive message, Julie Banderas. And yet I would imagine that your book tour is like my book tour where sure. If Fox was nice enough to let us go on some, some, some big shows and, and, and talk about it. Uh, but mostly I didn't get a call from the view or the today show or good morning America. I, I wonder why that you know, is that's funny. I, Neither did I What? <laughs> really weird. Can you believe it? No, I have not. I've only promoted my book on a million different, like, you know, radio shows, online shows, but they're all conservative online shows because obviously, you know, why would any other, you know, mainstream media, whether on radio, podcast or television, want to give any exposure to a book that teaches about morals and values? Because that would be uh, anti, I guess that would be too, I guess, anti-woke, right? And they don't like anti-woke. If I wrote a book about drag queens, I guess I would probably um, be an on-set guest on The View, but no. And that's what bothers me. Like, so suddenly your message about having the proper moral compass and, and if you, you try hard, you will succeed. Like all like the most basic things that we were taught as uh, by, by, by our parents as kids. Uh, suddenly that's a conservative message. It sounds like a pragmatic one. I know, right? It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I want to preserve my innocence in my children and their youth. That's somehow a conservative message because I want to preserve my children's innocence and, children's innocence, and I don't want to teach them about socially advanced issues such as everything else that they're teaching, you know, in our, in public schools? Absolutely not. No, I'm going to preserve my kids' innocence as long as I possibly can. And I have a 12-year-old who's yeah. the oldest, who is so innocent and pure. It's, it's amazing to me because I think back when I was 12 and not as much as her. But I, so I obviously I'm doing something right. So wow. I'm proud of it. Yeah, I, I told that to my daughter today. She's nine. I'm just like, look, you're not allowed to age anymore. All right, just stay here. All right, don't, don't, don't oh, go any know. older. You know, you're don't you're, you're going to turn on me. You know, suddenly I'm going to be like the boring guy. She's like, no, I'll never be that way, Daddy. I've seen the movie. Trust me, this is this isn't good. But uh, yeah, you want to no, keep them around. No, but father-daughter relationships are special, and you'll always have that. She'll always be your little girl. So whether she's nine or nineteen, you'll still have that. I promise you that. Oh, good. Thank goodness. Yeah. Well, we're talking to yeah. Julie Banderas, who has won some Emmys and obviously did a great job today uh, again on Fox News Live. Uh, wonderful. Uh, wonderful probably is the wrong word. Just a hard hitting interview uh, surrounding what, what Julie was just talking about briefly as far as bullying and parents having access to bullying records and to educational records. And, and, and just the way you handled that interview was half as an anchor and half as a concerned parent. And, and I, I give you kudos. And if you go on to uh, any number of sites like media, you, you could watch. Uh, those clips today of, of Julie doing uh, her job and doing it well. But I, I'm curious now, Jules, uh, I, I uh, gave you a heads up that I want to do a lightning round with you as far as. Yeah, thanks for the 15 minute heads up on like 12 <laughs> questions. That was awesome. You know I what was I did? Like, OMG, wow, that's a lot of questions to come up with. Okay, I'll, I guess I'll start thinking. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you that this, this is 100% true? I, I'll put my hand on a Bible if I have to. So in my phone, there are two Julie B's, right? There's Julie uh-huh. the babysitter and there's Julie Banderas, Bidwell. And, uh, and I sent it to the babysitter. So then the babysitter, oh, I will read back exactly what she said. She goes, Joe, it's oh, Julie. I think you're texting the wrong number. <laughs> Oh, my God, that's so hysterical. She got those questions at 1.52 p.m., so I was giving you more I'm than I'm just kind of curious what her answer was to who is person of the year, because I'm just wondering if it's Joe Concha. 
Right, right. I, I was the, uh, in terms of what I've paid her, probably You were the male her, yeah. villain of the year in her life. Did she actually answer the questions? <laughs> I'd like to know the answers, too. I should have asked her to do it anyway, you know? She's 23, <laughs> yes, college graduate. And, oh, yeah, too funny. Exactly. All right, so let's let's start off with that. Uh, who is your person of the year as we look back on 2022, Julie Banderas? Well, let's start with what, okay, you want to start with person of the year? Then I'm going to go person of the year, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Um mm-hmm. He has had to stand up to the biggest monster that this world has seen in years. And uh, Zelensky was basically standing all on his own until the United States came in to assist. But I have to say Zelensky would be my person of the year. And now we're 11 months into this, you know, uh, Russia invasion of Ukraine. And he is still standing tall and standing proud and defending his people, which is what a president should do. Um, I actually said that I would nominate nominate him as U.S. president because he, you know, I'd like to have somebody in the White House that actually cares about us and our lives. Well, you're right about that. I mean, if you told me in February when Russia first went in, I would have bet two, three weeks max, right? We've seen this before with Georgia. We've seen Russia and how brutal they are with their tactics. Obviously, they're Russia. You know, that's a huge yeah. army compared to military compared to Ukraine. And, and here we are 11 months later. And, and if you told me, no, actually, uh, Zelensky will be speaking in front of the U.S. Congress and Russia will be talking about a negotiation for peace. I'd be like, what? So, yeah, I, I think that's that's a, that's a slam dunk. And by the way, the fact the that Putin... The- the fact that, that the peace talks and that, that verbiage is even coming out of Putin's mouth speaks volumes at how Zelensky has backed them into a corner because they never imagined by invading in Ukraine that they would have gotten the fight back that they did. They expected to just go ahead and assume their land and invade and destroy. But instead, Ukraine has stood tall and they have Zelensky to look to as leading that charge. And so I think, you know, it speaks volumes about Zelensky and his ability to stand up for Ukraine by, you know, Putin actually even entertaining a peace talk. Right. I mean, it couldn't get near Kiev or leave or like any of these cities. It's just it's just remarkable that now Ukraine is on the offensive and actually hitting targets inside Russia. But we we could talk about this all day. I want to go on to who is your male villain of the year, Julie Banderas? Okay, so that's twofold. Obviously, Vladimir Putin, because he is the devil. Um, But that's, you know, in another country. But here in the United States, my male villain of the year is Kanye West. I think Kanye West, first of all, is a sick individual. But that aside, he is a piece of garbage. As far as I'm concerned, I have major issues with him. I've always felt to him to be extremely um, abusive to his former wife. Um, I know the family personally. I've, I've known Kanye personally. I know all the Kardashians personally. They have done everything to try to help him, to shield him, to protect him from himself. Because himself, he is, he, his own worst enemy is himself. And now to go ahead and make these you know, anti-Semitic remarks are absolutely despicable. And then to back and, and basically, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's basically doubling down on his remarks. There's never been any sense of remorse or apology. So he deserves to be canceled. And I do not believe in canceling people. I think it's a little overplayed, but I'd say Kanye West, male villain of the year. Yeah, he's he's never going to recover uh, remotely no. uh, the, the star that he was, right? And and no. even uh, for, for the life of me, I cannot understand why why Donald Trump, after what, everything that Kanye said, uh, said, oh, you know, who, who should I have for dinner? Boy, you know, former I'm a former president. I could basically get a lot of people here. I'll have Kanye West over. It's like, what are you doing, man? I I, 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 I know that was a mistake, that. and I and I think I think the reason that Trump had him over is because honestly, like he's just a celebrity Hollywood celebrity who has garnered him a lot of attention from like a, a, an area of the country that normally wouldn't give Donald Trump the you know, light of day because of 
the community he comes with, uh, you know, come, is, is predominantly liberal. But once yeah. Kanye made those remarks, nobody should associate themselves with them. That was a big mistake. I agree. Precisely. Now, this is this is the question when I sent it to you, the, the one I was most curious about, because no one does Mean Girls quite like Julie Banderas. So who is your female villainess of the year, Julie? I'm going to go with um, Kamala Harris. I would not let her smile and cackle fool you. I feel that she is about as disingenuous as any person. And what makes her more dangerous is she's actually an elected official. She's an actual vice president in the White House. She has eyes and ears inside that White House. She's been given roles and responsibilities and has done absolutely nothing about it. The biggest crisis in our country, aside from the economy and uh, COVID, is is, uh, the border. And she's done nothing about it. And she was actually given the job. Her number one job was to find the root cause of the problem. Well, I mean, my God, you don't even need to travel to the border to be able to answer that. It's open borders. That's the reason why we have a root cause. Now, how do you fix it? But she never she never decided to even investigate. She's done nothing to figure out the root cause, let alone solve it. So I think she would be uh, my, my, my female villain. And I do love to mean girl. I'm not going to lie. I get in a bit of trouble <laughs> for it sometimes. I mean it. I mean, I say it in the nicest, funniest way yeah. possible, though. Of course, of course. And we celebrate uh, in 2023 uh, the 20-year anniversary of Mean Girls. So if we want to feel old, there you go. And Jules, we got to go, unfortunately. We're up against a, what they call a hard break here. So uh, you're off the hook for the rest of the questions, but we'll have some holiday cheer, and I'd love to get some, some answers from you off the record sometime. I think that would only be fitting. Yes, okay, Joe. I love you, and uh, good to talk to you, and Happy New Year. I love you too. See, we, we all love here. It's 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 a it's a loving show, and uh, this is Joe Concha in for Guy Benson, another man who is a lover, not a fighter. Back with more on Fox News Radio in just a moment. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. So this story is crazy about Representative Elect George Santos. He's a Republican. And he lied about his bio, and not just like the little embellishments that a lot of politicians are guilty of. I mean, this is a guy who said he worked for Goldman, Goldman Sachs, Citigroup, never worked for them. Pretty easy to check that out, I would imagine. Said that he graduated from uh, Barack College, and or is it Barack? I don't even know. It's like one of those weird New York colleges, uh, and New York University, NYU. So not just, hey, I graduated from this college, like multiple degrees that, that did not exist. And here's what he had to say. I didn't graduate from any institution of higher learning. I'm embarrassed and so sorry for having embellished my resume. This is what he told the New York Post. We do stupid things in life. And then he told WABC Radio, I want to make sure that if I disappoint anyone by resume embellishment, I am sorry. But people are calling on him to resign. And I, I wonder if that will happen. But either way, remember, Congress is only a two-year contract. The Senate is six years. So when he runs again for reelection, he's basically a sitting duck. I mean, I don't know how he survives this. Uh, the only thing is the New York Times is the paper that really looked into this. Let's say this was rumored about a Democrat having embellished this way about their resume. Would the New York Times really have pursued it? Would CNN confirm the reporting? I just wonder, you know, who gets investigated and who doesn't in these situations. Either way, Santos, no excuse regardless. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson. Guy, George Santos will be on Tucker tonight, by the way. Stick around. From the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. And 
right, welcome back, everybody. Hour number two of the Guy Benson Show. Joe Concha in for Mr. Benson, who has worked a hard, hard year making this story and this story, this show, a huge success. And uh, we wish Guy and the whole team here a great and continued success in 2023. Uh, Speaking of uh, 2023, I'm not sure that we're going to see Miami's quarterback play in 2023, or, or maybe a, a, again for that matter. I mean, I'm sure he's such a competitor. And of course, we're, we're talking about Tua, uh, the, the great Alabama uh, Heisman Trophy winner, uh, now Miami Dolphin quarterback, who now has been put in concussion protocol uh, for the second time this year. And you just have to wonder how many more hits uh, this guy can take uh, behind center for the Dolphins as they've, they've lost four straight and, and obviously uh, are teetering on making the playoffs or not, they have to beat the Patriots this week, and I think that gets them in. I'll have to talk to a football expert. And by the way, he's also the co-founder of Real Clear Politics. That is Tom Bevan. Tom, how are you, sir? Happy Merry Christmas. Can we still say that? We can still say that. Merry Christmas to you, Joe. Good, good to talk to you. I think we have up until New Year's where you can say Merry Christmas to people that you did not see or talk to before uh, Christmas or Christmas Eve. So, yeah, I, I think we, we can freely say that. But uh, what, just before we get into the political stuff and the polling stuff, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Taglia Biola as far as um, his uh, future with the Dolphins and in the NFL in general? Well, it's obviously concerning. I mean, uh, you know, we don't know how serious this, this last – I mean, I watched a little clip of the, of the hit that supposedly, you know, he banged his head on the turf again. Um so we'll have we'll have to wait and see, but but it's obviously concerning, and and I think he's a you know he's a young guy. He's obviously got a, a bright future ahead of him, but um, you know the NFL is one of those things. You go out there every single Sunday; these guys put their bodies on the line, and it could be it, it could be their last Sunday, and that's something that I think we don't as fans take into account enough as we watch these games and root for our teams and and uh, you know root against other teams, but. It's a violent sport, and and there are real consequences. Absolutely, and it's it's been it's such a long year. I mean, they've expanded the season to eighteen weeks. So now I'm old enough to remember when the Super Bowl was played like the third week in January, and we're yeah, gonna have the regular right. season. I mean, the playoffs are gonna start till January fifteenth. It's just remarkable no, how they've expanded this thing. I think the goal ultimately, Tom, is to get to President's Day weekend, play the Super Bowl. Then this way, everybody could get that holiday after the Sunday, which is uh, the Super Bowl, which is basically a holiday at this point. Either way, we're both Bear fans. We have not witnessed our team uh, in a Super Bowl. We're coming up <laughs> nearly on 40 years, and I have a feeling it's not going to be anytime soon, given our defense doesn't even play anymore. So I don't know. I could talk about this for, for forever, Tom. But uh, did did want to get to uh, the, the the politics at hand, and and particularly. Looking back on 2022, uh, as far as some of the bigger stories uh, that we saw this year, but if you had to pick one, what do you think the biggest story of 2022 was? Well, obviously, you know, from from our perspective, it was the election. It, it occupied the entire year, um, and and uh, was historic in in a number of ways. And so, I think that's that's probably the big story of the year. But I. I mean, there were other stories that were also, you know, equally important. I mean, the one that that to me, uh, you know, the the, the Twitter files, um, the way that that has unspooled. Actually, Twitter in general has been, you know, with Elon Musk uh, purchasing Twitter and then taking it over, and then and then allowing these reporters to to sort of peel back the curtain and and let 
the public see and, and basically in, in many ways confirm what, what a lot of people suspected was happening. But I think when you, when you sort of step back and look at it from a 30,000-foot uh, view of things, the idea that our government uh, and, and various agencies within the government, from the White House to the CDC to the FBI to the CIA to you name it, that all of these agencies were involved in trying to manipulate, censor, uh, you know, throttle free speech by claiming that it was disinformation, uh, when, when in fact a lot of that stuff turned out to not only not be disinformation but to actually be factually accurate and true, um, that's that's a real. I mean, that that is a story for the ages, and something that I think a lot of people should be concerned about, and and I think will be part of the discussion moving forward into 2023. There's just no question about it. It's a big, big deal. And, and we're talking to Tom Bevan, the co-founder of Real Clear Politics. You see him on Fox News all the time. I, this is kind of a rhetorical question, but I don't know how else to quite phrase it. Are you surprised what little coverage this story? has received from outside of Fox News, ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, Washington Post, New York Times. There is a complete blackout on this. And then some people who call themselves reporters, uh, at least they say so in their Twitter bio, who like to tweet all day, uh, are not writing any stories about it, but they're dismissing it and mocking it as this is a nothing burger. We knew shadow banning was going on all the time. Oh, the FBI was just giving Twitter a heads up on Russian disinformation, which we all thought it was at the time. In other words, all these excuses are either being given or the story is not being covered, just like the Hunter Biden laptop story wasn't covered just a few weeks before the 2020 election. So I, I guess we're not surprised. Right. But isn't it just amazing that the free press has no concern over what is clearly free speech violations left and right, whether it be by Twitter, whether it be by FBI getting themselves involved in this sort of thing. And even even we see the Defense Department also use Twitter for for propaganda purposes. And yet nobody cares. Why is that? Uh, That's a good question. I mean, listen, part of this is it's a red team, blue team thing. We're watching. You know, we're watching two separate movies, depending on which which team you're on. Um, and everything now is filtered through those prisms. So to your point, most of the mainstream media lean to the left. So they look at this through that prism and and uh, that's their that's their take on it. I mean, I think the other thing about it, too, Joe, is that the the, the press itself um, it very much prizes and and. Uh, is protective of, of free speech and First Amendment rights for themselves. When, for example, when when Elon Musk, you know, suspended the accounts of a few journalists, I mean, they went they went absolutely haywire. Um, yeah. I'm not defending that. I, I don't know if it was the right move or not. I mean, he had his reasons for doing that. But again, I'm 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 not a free speech absolutist, but I am I am someone who very much would like to err on the side of free speech in every circumstance where it's remotely possible so but you get these kinds of reactions from the press when it affects them personally but free speech for the rest of the public for for you know the population at large uh first amendment rights and not so much uh not not nearly as concerned about the first amendment when it comes to the public at large and and more than willing at least they have been over the last you know couple of years at least to, to really toe the line of the institutions that were whatever the whatever the the wisdom was coming out of 
the the whether it was the FBI or the CDC on things like the lab leak theory or hydroxychloroquine or whatever. I mean, the media jumped to uh, absolutely discredit anybody who who was not towing the line that was coming out of of the government to the administration, and in fact to attack them and try to discredit them. Uh, so, you know, again, I, I think part of it is. It's a part of it's ideological, and then part of it is also that the the journalists are are uh, not as interested in free speech and the First Amendment for for most people other than themselves, unfortunately. Right, unless theirs is taken away, then suddenly, I, I mean, Aaron Rupar, who is a guy who just tweets about Fox News all day, puts up out-of-context clips, uh, he gets his Twitter account suspended, and you would think the guy just survived storming Normandy, right? Like, oh, when, when he got it back, like, thank you for everybody who <laughs> bared, was with me during this right. difficult time. It's like, dude, you tweet about Fox all day. Stop making yourself a hero. But uh, let, let's change gears here for a second, because uh, I was just looking at your Twitter feed, and I, I want to play... Good shot, no shot, okay? And and good shot means there's a good chance that this person could win the Republican nomination, and then no shot is I just don't see it happening. So I'm going to put okay. you on the spot here, Tom Bevan. Uh, right. Washington Post has a piece out today on possible challengers to Donald Trump in 2024. Donald Trump, of course, is the only declared candidate at this point. He declared something like 721 days before the actual election is going to happen in 2024 <laughs> last month. And then what's amazing to me – actually, let me get your thoughts on this first – since Trump announced he's held no rallies, in other words, in 2015 when he announced, he was in Iowa just a few hours later at a rally. Then he did a media tour, which included ABC, NBC, CBS, the New York Times, the Washington Post, obviously Fox News, CNN. Uh, he's done ba- basically no interviews outside of, uh, I believe, Elizabeth uh, Nuzzi he, he did an interview with for, for New York Magazine, which he wasn't very happy about. But TV interviews, we haven't seen any. So Trump announced and then nothing happened from there outside of a dinner with Kanye West. So w- what do you make of this campaign or non-campaign? so far it is interesting um you know now the trump folks argue that they're doing stuff behind the scenes they're staffing they're doing all these things but but from the outside there are very few signs that much is going on other than trump sort of hanging out and playing golf and and being at mar-a-lago and he's obviously you know having their events there and he's he's playing the role of host but but he's not flying around he's not doing a lot of that and I think part of that was the midterm elections sort of prevented him from doing that. But even after his announcement, um, he just hasn't he has not been very active. And so that's raised a lot of questions. I I just finished reading the Olivia Nuzzi piece that you mentioned in New York magazine, um, which had some very unfavorable quotes from some anonymous staffers, which Trump took (laughs) took offense to. Yes. Um, But it does raise the question. I mean. There was the the idea that he did it so quickly because it would help insulate him against any criminal charges that were filed, um, you know, that were coming down the pike. That, uh, but I, I'm not sure how much that actually played into the decision. Um, but yeah, and, and that he wanted to get out ahead of Ron DeSantis and try and clear the field from all these other folks. And again, in it seems to uh, whether that was the intent or not, it seems not to have had that effect. In fact, I think you mentioned the dinner with with Kanye, the tweet about, you know, uh, suspending the Constitution, et cetera. I mean, those things have really actually had the opposite effect, which is to portray him as, as you know, more vulnerable and more open to to various challenges from folks moving into 2024. So it's been it's been interesting to sort of 
watch the inactivity that's going on uh, down. But that part of that too is, you know, he declared so early. I mean, you really going kind of want to run against. You, yeah, well, <laughs> right. no, I mean, it's just like you—you you definitely. Trump is, has been ubiquitous in the in the public consciousness for for years now, but. You know, does he really want to be doing rallies in Iowa and New Hampshire, you know, two years ahead? I mean, it's just it's so early that to do that would be kind of um, that would be a little weird in and of itself. So, yeah, yeah, a little bit. So I think he's in this he's in this sort of weird wait and see phase. Um, But right now, you know, the ball is is no longer in his court. It's in, you know, Ron DeSantis's court and, and the courts of the other people who are considering running. This is true. So now we'll get down to the aforementioned uh, good shot or no shot. Uh, so Washington Post, possible challengers to Trump. Ron DeSantis, I will go good shot. You will go. Now what, is it, what does good shot mean? Good, a good shot, good shot to win the nomination, to beat Trump to, and win the nomination. To win the nomination. Is there like a medium shot? Decent. Or a, uh, good, decent, or no shot. I just made up this game in my head. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll say decent. Okay, I'll go good. Uh, Mike Pompeo, good, decent, or no shot. No shot. No shot. Mike Pence. I'll go no, no shot. No shot. <laughs> uh, Asa Hutchinson. Like, is there anything below no shot? <laughs> uh, absolutely no shot. <laughs> okay. I'll take right, that one. done. <laughs> Nikki Haley. No shot. Decent shot. Good shot. No shot. No shot. Christy Nome, Governor, South Dakota. Uh, I would say no shot. At no winning shot. the nomination, right? We're not talking. Okay. Right. So if you want to put in a caveat, like, yeah, vice president, I was about to say, could, could she be chosen as vice president? Uh, if, if, if Kari Lake isn't, then sure. OK, uh, here is um, I'll even go with a best shot. All right. And, and people are surprised when I say this. Glenn Youngkin, I think he is, of all the candidates, perhaps best positioned to win the nomination uh, over Trump and even to DeSantis. Your thoughts? Mm, I don't know about that um i would put him at maybe somewhere between decent and no shot decent and no wow okay we vary on that one uh of uh new hampshire no shot no shot uh tim scott so tim scott is one that i think is a guy who who i would say i would also put him in the the between decent and no he's 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 got a tiny bit of a shot i think Sure, and vice president also is is a possibility yes. as well. Yes. Uh, all right, so and we're going to go lightning around on this. So final forty seconds. Larry Hogan, no shot. No. Okay. Nope. Greg Abbott, no shot. No. Nope. Okay. Uh, let's see. Chris, <laughs> Christy, should we even bother answering that? No. Nope. nope. No shot. And then uh, Ted Cruz, who did okay uh, in twenty sixteen. I think he was the last one standing before Trump got the nomination. But no I shot. would go no shot. Yeah, agreed. So basically, it's DeSantis versus Trump. In your mind, with maybe a slight chance of, 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 of a Yunkin, but then basically everybody else is an afterthought. Everybody else is an afterthought, but the more people that are in the race, the better, you know, the more benefits Trump. I mean, the question is how quickly do they get in and get out? Uh, how quickly do they consolidate behind an alternative to Trump? If, if more than one person stays in for, for a few months and through these primaries, it's going to be a problem and it'll be good for Donald Trump. Yeah. But if they if they bail early, um, you know, there's a chance that Trump could could lose the nomination to, to DeSantis. 
at that point. Indeed. Okay. Well, Tom, we are out of time, unfortunately. But, uh, again, uh, have a happy new year. We appreciate your analysis. Always fun to talk to you. And I'll talk to you, I'm sure, on your radio show in 2023. All right, Joe. Good to talk to you. All right. Thank you, Tom. And back with more of the Guy Benson Show, where we have some breaking news around the Supreme Court and Title 42. Stick around for that. Joe Contra filling in for Guy Benson on Fox News Radio. The Guy Benson Show. More next. And welcome back to the Guy Benson Show. Joe Concha in for Mr. Benson. And uh, while Guy is going to be doing this job probably for a very long time, I think Guy's not 40 years old yet. He looks like he's 20, like six. You know, really angers me to no end. Uh, but I do want to talk about a retirement and a big one. J.J. Watt, the great J.J. Watt, who's done so much great charity work, particularly when he was in uh, Houston. You remember when a hurricane hit there and he just worked tirelessly to, to, to get people back up on their feet. Just one of the really, really good guys in sports. Announced that uh, this is his last season, that uh, he'll play two more games for the Arizona Cardinals, who are having a, a horrible season. And he's just saying, all right, that, that that's enough for me. doesn't look like it's any kind of injury uh, that, that that's based here uh, or, or any reason for it outside of maybe he's just had his run and maybe it's just not fun for him anymore, particularly when he's been on so many teams that have been so bad. <laughs> and Texans were good for a couple of years when he was there, but basically uh, they were a wild card, one and done type of team. So, But either way, uh, we would farewell to J.J. Watt, who is just, again, a class, class act. And hopefully, you know, maybe there's a, a second career in broadcasting. I have a feeling he'll probably become like a cop or something. Like you could, could totally see that, you know. So that's what we're looking at here. But uh, we did get a, a ruling just before as far as the Associated Press report. The Supreme Court keeps U.S. immigration limits that were imposed at the beginning of COVID-19 pandemic in place indefinitely. So I think I said before, save the tape, because I thought that the Supreme Court would just say that no pandemic, no more Title 42. But sure enough, they're keeping it in place, hopefully for the right reasons, which is we cannot handle 6.5 million people entering this country in a year. We could barely handle the 2 million that are coming in now. So uh, that is the big breaking news of the day. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson, The Guy Benson Show, 833-456-1300. Your calls next. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. It is concerned. Make the Monday back come to me. I could be Dave Matthews. You can't understand half the words in the songs, but it's It's like not even quite English. I'm not quite sure what it is. I think they're from Charlottesville, right, Dave Matthews? Anyway, that song, which is Ants Marching, uh, brings me back to the summer of 1994 at the Jersey Shore. Uh, young Joe College, fresh. Young Joe Concha, fresh out of college and ready to take on the world. And now, that suddenly is almost 30 years ago. That's freaky, man. I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. That song is that old. Oh, Nicole Sapphire. Can, can, you, can you get me through this? Is there any medication I can take to forget that that, that, that song's 30 years old? Joe, I'm not, I'm not sure I would have agreed to come on had I known you were going to be serenading me to Dave Matthews. <laughs> I, I didn't give you any forewarning on that because I have a feeling you would have found something better to do uh, at this time. But, I, I, Nicole, look, you have been vindicated, by the way, uh, because Panic Attack, your great book, Playing Politics with Science and the Fight Against COVID-19, when you look back on it now, you were right about everything. So do the end zone dance. Take a bow. Why are people still wearing masks as much as I'm seeing them lately? Can you help me out with that? 
First of all, Joe, I just want to go back and make sure we have that on recording where you say that I'm right about everything so I can just play that to my husband over and over and over again. <laughs> he would um, love it. If, we could, if I can just get the tape on that, I'd really appreciate it. Wow. Uh, you know, first of all, listen, I don't think anybody was 100% correct on everything when it came to COVID. But at the end of the day, I think the people who were thinking critically and not necessarily, you know, toting the line – um, you know, probably found themselves to be more accurate um, than not during the course of the pandemic, which obviously we're still dealing with. Absolutely. We're talking to Dr. Nicole Sapphire, also an author as well. And she will be on Gutfeld tonight, if I'm reading this correctly, uh, with Michelle Tafoya. I was recently on Michelle's podcast. She, she's a good egg. Tyrus will be the guest host, it looks like. Uh, and, and Joe DeVito on as well, the great comedian. Uh, so we, that, that's going to be a, a fun show. Uh, Nicole, I, I, I'm wondering, you know, I, I, and, and I'm looking at a pinned tweet that you have, by the way, but it's, it's funny to quote now. I'm not sure who needs to hear this, but opposing vaccine mandates is not equivalent to opposing <laughs> vaccines uh, again the, the mandates were utterly ridiculous when we look back on them now so when the next pandemic hits do you think we would have learned our lessons from all this or we'll just repeat the same mistakes over again oh joe don't be silly of course we're going to repeat <laughs> all of the mistakes that has have happened i mean it, you know we we found ourselves completely flat you know completely blindsided in the beginning of this pandemic but if you actually go to look at how many books have been written and how many research papers have been have been performed over the last century uh, regarding the next pandemic we all thought it was going to be an influenza virus but it turned out it was coronavirus but at the end of the day we didn't learn anything we still we had no ability to test we had no way to treat we expedited vaccines the rollout was completely botched because we gave them to kind of all the wrong people we prioritized the wrong people and and because of all of these mishaps we you know all of a sudden you had this polarization and people started to rebel well, that's right. It became a red-blue issue somehow, right, where the mask was seen as like the MAGA hat for the left and the right was was completely uh, and totally against, uh, you know, not, I shouldn't say complete and total because that, that's that's an absolute. There was a good chunk of those uh, who deemed themselves conservative that were either against getting uh, the vaccine or obviously uh, all the lockdowns that were in place. They saw that what it was doing to businesses. But I think obviously the educational issue was the biggest takeaway from all this in terms of what we should not do again because kids, for the most part, uh, were in the safest places they could be by being in schools. And the fact that they're so young, their immune systems can, can fight off of COVID uh, almost uh, in, in, in all cases. And we're talking to Nicole Sapphire. Now, Nicole, I, I'll switch gears here for a moment because I, I, I'm curious and fascinated, as a matter of fact, to get your thoughts on as we look back on 2022 and I ask a question, you give the answer. I think this one I'd like to ask you first, who is your male villain of the year? Uh, I'm going to go with a, it's a tie for me, President Biden and Dr. Anthony Fauci, who have continued to um, extend the state of panic and emergency regarding COVID and not just letting Americans just live their lives. Wow. Were you a fan of Fauci when uh, he first uh, came out to the scene? Because he was one of the most popular people in the country. Listen, I still have a lot of respect for Anthony Fauci. He is a very established um, male in the scientific world. You know, he has accomplished so much. And I do think that, unfortunately, you know, there was some criticism of him regarding the the AIDS, you know, epidemic, how when that happened, you know, whether, you know, he handled that correctly. Um, but overall, I think that he has done a really good job, except for when it came to COVID, all of a sudden, he seemed to change his mindset a little bit. And he was criticizing the Trump administration for travel bans, but yet supporting the Biden administration when they did them. 
Um, you know, and then he, you know, he started calling himself, you know, he, he represents science, you know, and then he was going on show after show doing this massive media tour, I think. They, and there was even a bobblehead about him. So, you know, I think he may have gotten a little bit too big for his britches. And that yeah, I, I just remember the magazine cover. Uh, it, it was uh, like Women's Day magazine or something. And he's just sitting poolside next to like an umbrella drink. And, you know, he's on the cover. It's like, no, dude, <laughs> this 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 looks narcissistic. I don't know. It's just me. All right. How about your Female villain of the year, Nicole. Female that would be villain. Vice President Kamala Harris. She was given one job, one job only, and that was to look into why there are more migrants coming from Central America and hoping to help them and expedite the asylum process and really getting the southwest border under control. But as we can see, that that has not happened. She's completely failed. And if I had a 100% fail rate at my job, lives would be lost and I would be fired. The difference is with her failures, lives have been lost, but she still has a job which I don't understand it. Thankfully, the Supreme Court has just extended the stay on Title 42 since Kamala Harris and the entire administration has not come up with a plan for when it goes away. I, I can't read, read more into that, that uh, ruling for now. And they said it's indefinite as far as keeping Title 42. But I'd love to see the, the reasoning behind it. That if, is this really like, is there national security implications, for example, since there's been, what, 98 uh, folks that have been on terror watch lists that we've we've caught coming across the border. God knows how many got in uh, without uh, being documented or caught in any way, shape or form. Then obviously when you have, and and you know how it is, uh, and my my wife can attest to this as well, our healthcare resources and hospitals and urgent cares are already overwhelmed. And if you're going to allow six, 6.5 million people to come into this country illegally from countries where obviously they don't have the best healthcare systems, I I think that would, that would just cripple uh, that industry, the healthcare industry uh, to the point where it, it might not be able to recover. Well, that's right. And in Texas, and one of my best friends actually is a physician there, and she's from Eagle Pass, Texas. And their hospital systems are already to the to the brim with brink. their own, you know, the brink their own American patients as well as those who come across the border. The moment Title Forty Two goes away, you know, they're going to have a real problem there, and it's going to start looking like a third world country, or you know, they're in the middle of wartime. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to the border agents who are now seeing an uptick in suicides. You know, at at some point, we do have to focus on our existing citizens before taking on um, illegal uh, immigration. And we're talking to Dr. Nicole Sapphire. She is uh, becoming, I, I think, going to make you a co-host at some point on Outnumbered. It seems like every time I turn it on, there you are. And obviously you'll be on Gutfeld tonight, and she's all over uh, Fox News, certainly stays busy on top of her uh, day job, so to speak. And, and having, uh, wait, wait, how many kids are we up to? Three? Is it three, right? I, I, I know I met them. It was three. It's three. Three kids, two dogs, yes. a husband, and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> hey, speaking of which, uh, as far as trees are concerned, you, 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 I know that your husband is Jewish. You probably still celebrate Christmas, I would imagine. Uh, artificial tree or natural tree? Artificial tree, and I'll tell you why. Multiple reasons. Yes. First of all, as mm-hmm. we just highlighted, three kids, two dogs. I cannot deal with those pine needles, and I cannot be the only person who remembers to water the tree. Second, I like to put up the tree that weekend after Thanksgiving. It is, you know, cer- you know, it's kind of a little ceremony. We start playing Christmas music. It's festive. And if you put it up the weekend after Thanksgiving, sometimes it, with all the heaters and the fires going in the house, it can really dry out a natural tree. That's a fire hazard. And so I just love my artificial tree. It looks lovely. 
Oh, you ain't kidding. I, we got ours on we, – we went out to Mendham, New Jersey, which is about 40 minutes west of us because they have a place there where you could cut down your own tree, and they give you hot chocolate, and they got the fire pits and everything. You roast the marshmallow. It's like a nice experience for the kids. So after 10 years of artificial trees, for, for the reasons you just laid out, I said, you know what, let me get a natural one. We get the scent and everything. And I got to tell you, we got the thing like maybe three weeks ago. And already it's not looking very good. I try to water it every day, but it's we got a fireplace in that room, and I think it has dried out. So this is like, a, I think, a, a one-off as far as our natural tree is concerned now i know our our listeners right now nicole sapphire as we're broadcasting across the country and online across the world want to know what your new year's resolution is if any good question first of all because you've mentioned i'll be on gutfeld a couple times tonight i will be wearing neon so i just want people to realize that because that means it's a party so it's it's (laughs) rare you see me in neon but i'll be in neon tonight so make sure you tune in 2023 resolutions. First of all, I'm not a huge resolution person. I think that we should be trying to do everything all year round because if you set these super high expectations for the first of the year, every single year, to be honest, you probably have a high likelihood of being disappointed. So my motto in life has always been everything in moderation. So, you know, it's a good time to reflect on the things you did last year and find some small tweaks on how you can be better in the new year. But, you know, I always try to maximize my physical and mental health. And any way I can do that, you know, I'll just continue to keep doing. That's that's an awesome answer. And you're right about that. I mean, maybe you don't have any vices that, that need correcting. I have six, so it's going to be hard to go through all of them. But, uh, yeah, my, not my New Year's resolution, Nicole, is to wear neon. Because I've never done that before, and I think that that might be uh, appropriate. So what color neon are you going with? Is it a green kind of neon? Uh, to be honest, there's uh, it's animal print neon. There's a lot of different colors happening. Really? Okay. Set your DVRs. That's Gutfeld, 11 o'clock Eastern time on the Fox News Channel. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so uh, I know you're, you're not into resolutions all that much, but are you into predictions? Do you have a prediction for 2023 that you think the audience will find interesting? You know, well, I, I really hope that Republicans don't go into the same vicious cycle that we found with Democrats in the last couple of years where they're more focused on um, investigating and prosecuting and calling out bad behavior from across the aisle, and I wish, I hope that they focus a little bit more on the American people, American And I think, oh no, did we lose Nicole? It's that, I tell you, I think she's in Jersey, and it looks like the signal may have gone out. Let's see if we can get Nicole back, because uh, I, I, I like what she was saying there, and I think, oh, she is. Oh, good, Nicole, we lost you for a second, but uh, please do continue. Yes, Republicans, too much uh, <laughs> concentrating on investigations and hearings and not enough on addressing the myriad of problems facing the American people. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know what happened there. But I I just really hope that um, politicians can actually put Americans first and realize that Americans are suffering. Things are too expensive. We still have the consequences of COVID. And while I think it's important to call out bad behavior, and, you know, I certainly think that there will be some warranted investigations coming forward, it's more important that we focus on the American people and making sure that we get them to the place that they deserve to be. Absolutely. The walk and chew gum uh, analogy really applies here because yes, you want every you want particularly lawmakers, the new ones coming in hungry to solve or to try to solve uh, some of the problems: inflation, border, crime, education. We could go down the list, but also at the same time, there is accountability as well that perhaps needs to go hand in hand with that. So when you have like an Alejandro Mayorkas, who's the DHS secretary, should he be impeached for his utter failure at the U.S. southern border? Yeah, probably. So, but but I wonder, yeah, if the focus will be too much on the prosecution part 
on the hearings that end up being one big thing of theater. And, and obviously the media will dismiss them as political weaponization and, and the right will try to embrace them the way they did Benghazi. And then we won't get anywhere on anything. We're talking to Nicole Sapphire and we're looking back on 2022. I wonder if you're willing to even go down this road, Nicole, uh, who do you think will be the Republican and Democratic nominees in 2024? Well, you know, first of all, I think let's look at this it this way. If you know Governor DeSantis is running, Florida has had the highest influx of people moving to that that state. I think in decades, I read something along those lines. So, if people want to go to Florida because of the way he governs, don't you think maybe he should just govern the entire country? He seems to be doing a good job. Not a single Democratic governor can say the same thing. Like, everybody wants to come to my state. Really? No. Actually, they're leaving blue states by the masses. So, why we would even consider tasking the role of the president to any of these Democratic governors is completely beside and, and, and we're talking to Nicole Sapphire, and, and you're exactly right about that. That's why it, it, there's a side to me that would love to see a Ron DeSantis versus Gavin Newsom matchup. Because then, because you run a state like you run a country, right? So if it comes down to, do you want the country to be like California, which has the highest poverty rate in the country, the highest homeless rate in the country, obviously crime out of control. And everybody's moved out. And people are moving out because of the tax problem, because it has 13.3% income tax. You know what the income tax is in Florida? It's that number you get that you multiply any number by zero by, and that's zero. So yeah, why wouldn't you want to live there? I was in Naples just last week, Naples, Florida, and just everybody's so happy there. It's like, they're free. They're not paying a ton in taxes. It's warm, which helps. Uh, yeah. I, why am I in New Jersey, by the way? Now that I think about this, Nicole, we got to move. Like you, you tell the husband, I'll tell the wife. We're, we're off to Naples. What do you think? I mean, I think Florida would appreciate having three doctors and a media guru. I mean, why not? <laughs> why not, right? No, that makes total sense. All right. Well, Nicole, I, I want to wish you a uh, happy Hanukkah, a Merry Christmas, and, uh, and a happy New Year. And uh, are you getting away at all? Is there a winter getaway after you uh, do the Gutfeld thing tonight? No, no. I'm in the hospital for about 12 hours tomorrow. My husband's on call all week long. It's the usual chaos in the hospital, but we always go to warm weather kind of towards the end of January. If there's anybody who's earned it, it is you, my friend. So thank you for joining on short notice. We appreciate it. And uh, I will see you in 2023 in a green room near you at Fox, I am sure. I'm sure. Happy New Year, everyone. (laughs) Happy Neon. Take care. Nicole Sapphire, everybody. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson. Back with more on Fox News Radio in just a moment. Fresh conservative talk, Kai Benson Show. The National Guard took over uh, what was uh, uh, operating controlled by the federal government there in El Paso to prevent uh, those migrants from being able to enter illegally. They're doing the same thing in other parts of the state, and they are turning back uh, people who are trying to cross into the state of Texas illegally. And today, I posted pictures. We are building more of our own border wall in the state of Texas, wall materials that were left behind by the Trump administration. So Texas is building our own border wall. We're going after the cartels, which I've declared as terrorist organizations. And we have the National Guard repelling and turning back people trying to enter our country illegally. There we go. That's Governor Greg Abbott, who is just doing all he can to to handle this influx. Now, now remember, uh, we, we, we just reported and this is a big blow to the Biden administration as far as its immigration policy or lack thereof but the Supreme Court ruling today the government could not halt the expulsion of migrants for public health care reasons under the title 42 program 
So remember, that's the program that's been in place since the early days of COVID uh, in terms of the pandemic. And it's, it's been one of the few things that has helped quell what has already been an overwhelming amount of migrants entering this country illegally. Again, two million documented in the past year alone. You also can include another million of gotaways as high as that. Uh, perhaps coming into this country, you're talking about five million overall in the first two years of this administration. And if Title 42 expired, it would have been it's utter chaos there already. It would have been infinitely worse. The floodgates would have completely opened. So bravo to the Supreme Court on this one, because, again, the problem is now that we're still back to where we are, which is two million people documented entering this country illegally. No border wall means they're going to keep coming through. No remain in Mexico means they're going to keep coming through. And a president and a vice president who could care less about this. I mean, the, the fact that Joe Biden has never been to the U.S. southern border in his life. And don't tell me because he drove by it once uh, on his way to a campaign rally. That counts. It doesn't. Plus, it was 15 years ago. It's irrelevant. Who cares? Uh, it's just amazing uh, that, that folks didn't vote in bigger numbers just against this policy alone. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson. Back with the final hour of a great show in just a moment. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Welcome back, everybody. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson on this Tuesday after Christmas. Christmas, a Sunday this year. Hope you got everything that you wanted. You got to enjoy some time with your, your family again after a couple of years. Of, uh, just hell. I mean, let, let, let's face it. Particularly when you have, you know, I got a first grader and a third grader. So my kids' second grade kindergarten and pre-K and first grade Christmases were almost non-existent, right? I mean, we still got them presents. As an immediate family, we were able to celebrate. But as far as seeing the, the grandparents and, and traveling to see other relatives, it just didn't happen. So this is something, particularly this year, where we learned to appreciate a bit more Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And then New Year's, going to a, uh, I'm actually going out. It never happens. I'm going to a party, and I'll be up past 10 o'clock. There was a time that this guy, Joe Concha, Fox News contributor, a columnist for The Hill, uh, periodic fill-in radio show host, he would start going out at 10.30, 11 o'clock. That would be the starting time. And now I look at the clock at 10.30, I'm like, boy, this is really not a good idea. Probably because I do Fox & Friends first almost every day. And I mean, who agreed to this? Oh, I did. That's right. I get to do it from my home because I have a home studio, which is kind of a nice thing. And that's, that's changed the ball game. I mean, can you imagine? I live outside of New York where it takes eh, 40 minutes on a good day to get in and an hour and a half on a bad day to, to get in, probably sometimes even worse. So you go in, you spend an hour and a half in a car, and then you do a six-minute segment on like a Fox and Friends or America's Newsroom or Harris Faulkner's show or Martha's show, whomever. Uh, and then you're back in the car for another hour and a half. You're like, wait a minute. I just spent three hours into a six-minute segment? It's like Thanksgiving dinner, you know? Like you, you take all this time to put together the Thanksgiving dinner, hours and hours, and it takes like 10 minutes to eat. You're like, boy, all that effort, it's gone in 10 minutes. Go figure. Anyway, I don't know what tangent I'm going off here exactly. Uh, let's talk about more important things, shall we? Uh, for starters, Supreme Court. Uh, says that Title 42 must remain in place. Woo! Did not see that coming. I thought for sure, not that I was rooting for it in any way, shape, or form. It's, it's the one thing from keeping the dam from completely imploding at the U.S. southern border. Uh, and meanwhile, remember when the president and, and Joe Biden went to Arizona just a couple of weeks ago? 
and he was asked by a reporter, hey, while you're here in this border state, you think you're going to visit the U.S. southern border? And he said, there's more important things for me to be doing right now. And apparently that included, you know, sitting down for a hard-hitting interview, not with Brett Baer, not with Martha McCallum, not with Peter Ducey, and not with Jackie Heinrich or, you know, anybody who truly is a journalist. But instead, his one interview on television that he has done, the President of the United States, uh, was with Drew Barrymore, the girl from E.T., who now has apparently a, a daytime talk show. And you can only imagine how that went. And basically the president and, and his wife and Dr. Jill Biden uh, talked about how Joe had proposed to her five times before she said yes. Look, I don't know about you. I propose once and I get a no. Uh, that, that's pretty much it. I got this thing called pride. And, and what am I going to ask again? He, he wore her down completely. After the fifth time, she probably felt sorry for him. So, yeah, I, I, it's one strike and you're out as far as marriage proposals are concerned. But we learned that about uh, the Bidens. And then we also learned that, the, that Joe still writes poetry to her to this day. And if you believe that, you believe that we're at zero inflation. I'm just saying. All right. Just, just, I, I, I can't buy that for, for even two seconds. And I don't know. I mean, I've been married for a while. I'm, I'm not writing any poetry. All right. Honey, I'll do some cooking once in a while. Maybe the dishes. Right. I clean more in this house. Do more laundry. That I know. But no one's getting any poetry. All right. What can I say? I'm just not. I'm a cold, cold person. You know who else is cold? Representative Jamie Raskin, who is like the he's like the Michael Avenatti of MSNBC. Right. Uh, you remember Avenatti. Uh, he was on hundreds of times. MSNBC, CNN, at first to talk about Stormy, Dan- Stormy Daniels. And then he became like a serious presidential contender, according to uh, the, the guy who used to do the media show on, on uh, CNN, uh, Stelter, Seltzer, something like that. Anyway, he's teaching at Harvard now, whatever. The point is uh, that Raskin is always you could at least see him on MSNBC a good three times a day. And what he said this time to another network in CBS News is that he disagrees with the Electoral College, but then he even takes it a step further. Cut 19, go. There's so many um, curving byways and nooks and crannies in the Electoral College that there are opportunities for a lot of strategic mischief. We should elect the president the way we elect governors, senators, mayors, representatives, everybody else. Whoever gets the most votes wins. The framers were great and they were patriots, but they didn't have the benefit of the experience that we've lived. And we know that the Electoral College doesn't fit anymore, which is why I'm a big supporter of the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, where it's bubbling up from below. Uh-huh. So if you heard that once again, right, he's a big supporter of abolishing the Electoral College. This is the same Jamie Raskin who throughout the January 6 hearings and any time a microphone is put in front of him is apparently the number one guardian of democracy and protecting what the framers intended, except when it doesn't particularly benefit his party. So, of course, he's saying in this case, let's read it again. We should elect the president the way we elect governors, senators, mayors, representatives. No, actually, no, because all you're doing then is allowing Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, all the big cities to then dictate who the next president should be. And there's a reason why Iowa gets a say and New Hampshire gets a say and they obviously are given X amount of electoral votes. The bigger the state, obviously, the more electoral votes. But if you just made it a popular vote, then all the needs of folks that aren't in big cities would just completely go away because they're just not as relevant to winning as it would be if you ran up the score in San Francisco or in Dallas or, you know, wherever a Democratic city may be. So, yeah, of course, this is ridiculous. And this, this is what, again, Democrats ultimately would love to expand the Supreme Court 
because they say it's uneven and we need to balance it. No, it's not the way it works. And would love to abolish the Electoral College because obviously that benefits them more. Because remember, George W. Bush lost the popular vote and Donald Trump lost the popular vote. So you would have had now uh, Democratic rule going all the way back to Bill Clinton in 1992 as far as popular vote totals are concerned. But it's, it's not the popular vote that should decide a president. It's the way the framers intended it, which is to give all the small states a uh, place at the table instead of states with big cities. And that is my screed on that. Another screed that we should talk about is this, and by the way, who invented this word? Omnibus. Omnibus. You couldn't come up with something else. Just call it like the bus bill, right? Well, I guess that would be confusing because then you think it's actually about buses. I don't know. Just omnibus is something that does not roll off the tongue very, very easily. But either way, whatever you want to call this thing, I mean, $1.7 trillion. It's amazing how we just throw money out like this and, and, and people don't even bat an eye, right? And again, there's this malaise in this country that where we just accept this stuff without too many voices saying too many things. I mean, I, I just can't get over the fact that we have a process where an omnibus bill is presented and senators are supposed to read what is uh, something that would take at least a month or more probably to truly absorb and study and analyze. They're supposed to absorb it in 48 hours and then vote on it right before Christmas because we've got to get home. You know, God forbid uh, you say no on this and then let the next Congress decide the purse strings here because $1.7 trillion. And the fact that none of it, none of it, addresses the biggest catastrophe hitting this country, which we have talked about throughout this show, which is the U.S. southern border. We didn't see too much about fentanyl, which is killing 300 Americans per day on average. Think about it this way. Let's say you had a 767, and it was filled to capacity. You had 300 people on it, and then that plane crashed every day with 300 different people dying. What would happen to the aviation industry? It would be shut down. You'd say, there's something horribly wrong here. We're losing hundreds of people a day uh, to something that we don't have to lose them to. That's fentanyl. That's, that, and it's everywhere. It's, it's, it's in communities everywhere. It's not a poor thing, and it's not a rich thing, all right? This, this stuff is everywhere, and it is lethal, and it's killing more Americans between the ages of 18 and 49 than anything else. Not COVID, not suicide, not car crashes, and you don't hear a damn thing about it from this administration or in these omnibus packages as far as addressing that problem. So Lee Zeldin, he was on Fox and Friends this morning, and and he talked about why he was a strong no against this bill, but not all Republicans were no's against it, including Mitch McConnell, by the way, who, you know what, I I got this thing where if you're over 80 years old, and my dad just turned 80, so this isn't an indictment on those who are in their 80s and their ability to do work. I'm not saying that at all, but I, I think at some point when you look at the U.S. Senate and you look at our leaders, you say, you know what, I'm done with, you know, so many people over 70 and 80 years old running this country that maybe we need some young blood in there because you got McConnell, who's over 80 years old, and you got Nancy Pelosi, who, yes, is being retired as House Speaker, but she's still going to stay in Congress, who's 82 years old. You have Joe Biden, who's over 80 years old. You know, enough, all right? In fact, if there were age limits on the Senate alone, where you said you cap it at 70 years old, now, there are age limits on other occupations, like you can't be an airline pilot, apparently, after the age of 56, for example, right? Let's say you put an age limit on serving in the Senate. Three-quarters of the Senate would have to retire if you had an age limit of 70 years old in the Senate. You think we kind of got a problem that people are kind of hanging around a little bit too long? Again, nothing to do with age. But when you get these six-year terms and very few of these folks get voted out once they're in, 
I think maybe after a while, they'll maybe be stuck in their own bubble and may just be voting based on keeping power instead of doing what's right for the country. Anyway, let's hear from Lee Zeldin, who almost won, not quite, almost does not count unless you're in horseshoes and hand grenades, uh, the race for New York's governor. But here's why he voted no on the omnibus bill. Well, I was a strong no against this bill. $1.7 trillion, that's a lot of money. And that trajectory of, of federal spending is out of control. The process is broken, and the House Republicans were cut completely out of the process of creating this bill. What should have happened, because you're in a lame duck session, is that there would be a short-term CR, a continuing resolution. They would just fund the government into the new year. There's a new Congress taking office. And then you would have more of a Republican seat at the table. And as I mentioned, the House Republicans didn't have any. Uh, Title 42 and the border security challenges were not properly addressed in this bill. Uh, So from the process and the substance, there was a lot of strong opposition by myself and a bunch of my colleagues. Again, zero dollars. To quote Dean Wormer, zero point zero for border wall construction, for example, in this bill. But twelve billion dollars with a B for the IRS. That agency just got 80 billion dollars. Okay, so, boy, we're really beefing that up. But we can't add more Border Patrol agents, right? We, we can't add more drones. We can't add more bricks in terms of the wall. And the facilities over there are completely and totally overrun. Uh, we, we can't improve those in some way, shape, or form. Again, as I mentioned earlier in the show, a record number of migrants died trying to cross into U.S. soil this year. AOC, nowhere to be found. Go figure on that one. Anyway, I want to talk about my old friend, a good friend, Molly Hemingway, right? And... and she is uh, chief editor over at The Federalist, and obviously is here on Fox News a lot, and particularly Howie Show, uh, Media Buzz on Sundays, and Special Report, where she is a regular member of Brett Baer's panel. But here she talks about, and she has been all over this from day one. And remember, she had that best-selling book uh, on Kavanaugh. Uh, and, and now, as far as voices in terms of Twitter and censoring of conservatives and shadow banning uh, that now you were a conspiracy theorist if you said you were shadow banned or that your tweets were being de-amplified, to use the technical term. Well, it turns out that that's all true. And Elon Musk, uh, God bless him, uh, provided the receipts through actual journalists like Matt Taibbi and and Barry Weiss and Lee Fang and and, and so on. But but here's Molly, and I wanted to play this clip because she's on Special Report last night, uh, talking about not just how Twitter acted inappropriately, but also the FBI working in conjunction with Twitter in order to censor and suppress stories negative to the Democratic Party, which I'm pretty sure is not what the FBI exists for. Let's play cut 15. Go. There were multiple agencies that were using Twitter. And we also can reasonably surmise they were working with other social media companies and other big tech companies to suppress people's freedom of speech, freedom of the press, you know, the right of people to just get together and have a debate about things. This is extremely nefarious that the government was involved. There are multiple bad actors here. That the government was in any way involved with trying to censor anybody really is a problem. And it's not even about whether what people were saying was true or not. Like what we've learned in these Twitter files, frequently people were censored for saying absolutely true things. But there's an even deeper thing that's more important, which is in America, we believe that you have the right to express your opinion, that you can debate with people. People when you disagree with them, we should not make our first instinct be to shut people down. 
And that's what's happened from the left against the right. And, and not just with the Hunter Biden laptop story, but we're also talking about COVID here. Right. And, and the fact that if you said that I think that COVID came from a lab like Senator Tom Cotton did, like then President Trump did, uh, you were again called a crazy conspiracy theorist. And how could you say this? The Chinese government insists it came from a wet market. So you had American journalists trusting the Chinese government over our own senators, our own president at the time. And John Stewart said it best, right? If there's a chocolate outbreak in Hershey, Pennsylvania, you could either look at the chocolate factory that produces chocolate, or you could say that a cocoa bean made it with a shovel, just like, hmm, did coronavirus come from a lab that studies coronaviruses, or was it a rogue bat that flew into a wet market and, and, and made it with the corpse of pick-your-own-animal type of thing? Of course, the first one only makes sense, and yet... That was censored, and, and that's something that you would think the major news organizations would be addressing now at this point because this is clearly a free speech issue. Government was involved, so we're talking First Amendment as well because the FBI is part of the government, and yet it's silence of the lambs. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson. Steve Krakauer, speaking of media, the great media newsletter writing guy, guru, I think is the word Joe's looking for. He's coming up next. Guy Benson will be right back. Is that Taylor? We're on a first name basis. That is Taylor. Taylor Swift. Why? Didn't see that coming. I guess we can't play Christmas anymore. Now, I, I tell you, Christmas night, I drive home from, in this case, uh, my sister in law's house, and that's it. It's over. So I still get people, people maybe in my own home that are listening to Christmas music. Nah! You don't listen to it before Thanksgiving and after Christmas. I know that it's Christmas week up until New Year's. You don't do it! None of my watch. Well, apparently it does happen on my watch. Uh, speaking of watches, we're watching Southwest Airlines right now just completely and totally melt down. 87% of Tuesday's U.S. flight cancellations are from Southwest. 2,500 flights, more than 2,500 flights have been canceled. And we're talking about now the second highest is Spirit with 83. So, again, Southwest, 2,500. Spirit, not even 100. Southwest now warning that it would continue canceling flights until it could get its operations back on track. The company's CEO said this has been the biggest disruption he's seen in his career. Yeah, you think? The Biden administration is investigating. Who's investigating, I wonder? Could it be the transportation secretary? How do you pronounce his name again? Edge. Edge. Boot Edge. Edge. Yes, boot edge edge. That's that's how you do it. I, I believe that that was the 45th president uh, giving us a tutorial on Pete Buttigieg. The guy who was... Mayor of South Bend, Indiana, a college town in the Midwest where the guy couldn't even solve the pothole problem, but because he dropped out before Super Tuesday and endorsed Joe Biden, Biden, instead of making him ambassador to New Zealand, decides, you know what, I'm going to make him transportation secretary, despite having zero experience in running anything regarding transportation. It had a little bus station in South Bend. It's got a little regional airport in South Bend. And again, a pothole problem that he couldn't solve. And now he's running transportation in the country. And what have we seen during Pete? What, how do you pronounce it again? Edge. Edge. Boot edge. Right. I, I keep forgetting. What have we seen? He took two months off at the height of the supply chain crisis to be on parental leave. Right which is incredible. It didn't tell anybody. And now we see what's happening with the airlines. And again, where is the guy? Where is he? Solve the problem. Joe Concha in for Guy Benson. It is the Guy Benson Show on Fox News Radio. Steve Krakauer, media guru. He is coming up. Yeah.
talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. I'm trying to identify this band that I'm... This isn't Blink-182, is it? Somebody get in my ear. I'm way off on this, aren't I? Way off. Uh, third eye blind. That's right. All those late 90s, early 2000s bands kind of blend into to, to one in, in my mushed uh, old man mind at this point. Uh, you know what? I got a guy uh, who, who's joining us next, and his name is Steve Krakauer. And, and Steve, of course, is the executive producer of my old friend Megan Kelly, who has uh, a great radio show of her own. And also, he's the editor and host of the Fourth Watch newsletter and podcast. Now, the newsletter, when we go to 2023... It's going to be on Substack, so that that's some pretty uh, big news from from Steve. And congratulations on that, Steve. Well, why the move to Substack? Hey, Joe. Hey, great to be on with you. First of all, good to talk with of you. Course. Happy uh, Happy holidays, Merry Christmas. Me uh, you know, it, it was. Look, I, I think that this is 2022 has just been a continuation of the shift towards independent media more and more. I mean, Substack is is on fire. Uh, people are are building brands there that are really competitive and growing. Um, and an opportunity kind of presented itself to take what, as you mentioned, is kind of a side gig with Fourth Watch uh, over to Substack and and do something independent and maybe a little bit more in the new year as well. And so, so we'll give it a shot, you know, we'll see how it goes and, uh, and, and anyone can come and check it out at fourthwatch.media. And I think that Glenn Greenwald to Matt Taibbi, uh, Barry Weiss, they will all say, uh, yeah, Substack uh, is, is the future. And, and, uh, perhaps I should be heading over there soon. We'll see, but I'm, I'm happy at the Hill for now. But good to see that, that there may be uh, some options down the road. And you also have a book coming out, Steve, as well. And, and we should say that, you know, Steve is hit for the cycle, if we want to use a, a sports analogy for a second, because I believe you've somehow worked for Fox, CNN, NBC, and The Blaze. So, uh, yeah, that that's the cycle. Very few people have worked at all for those places, but 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 here you are, and it, it, but things have changed since you worked at those places. I would imagine, particularly CNN. Absolutely, yeah. I, I look at you know CNN is certainly where I uh, you know bef- I kind of got my my start into more of the corporate media structure. Um, you know, before that, uh, you and I had both been at uh, Mediaite, and I was a media reporter. Um, but then CNN kind of started this path towards uh, kind of on the executive side of of uh, CNN, and then later the Blaze. And yeah, you know, I left CNN almost exactly ten years ago now. It was August of 2013, and it is kind of fascinating to see how much it shifted. You know, the, the, the network changed. I think there were seeds of where things were going when I was there, um, and I think there was a, several reasons for it. But certainly, once you got to the Trump era, uh, it was a massive change, and it's actually actually sort of interesting as we as we approach the end of 2022. There are at least you know inklings that they're trying to work their way back towards maybe what the CNN was like when I was there. Uh, with the new new management and new leadership structure, so so we'll see. But yes, it has changed massively. Oh, completely. And and we're talking to Steve Krakauer. He is the author, by the way, of Uncovered: How the Media Got Cozy with Power, Abandoned the Principles, Its Principles, Excuse Me, and Lost the People. And that is coming out on February twenty first. You can pre order it now on Amazon or wherever you buy books. But yeah, I mean, people uh, are surprised to hear this. But I used to be on CNN a lot. I mean, in 2013, 2014, there were times my wife would be like, "You're, you're going." It's before I got my home studio. You're, you're going on again. This is like the fifth time this week. I'm like, "Yeah, you know." I mean, and I never walked out of that building saying, boy, this is a real 
you know, hard left liberal bastion of, of provocative opinion and they're abandoning journalism, even as recently as 2013. That's just when the Jeff, Jeff Zucker, uh, Zucker era had begun at CNN. I would go on with Aaron Burnett or Chris Cuomo or Don Lemon. You go down the line. And I, I always thought that it was still maybe left of center, but not too blatantly. And then suddenly once Trump uh, came along, uh, two things happened. Uh, they, they went, first of all, they, 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 actually put Trump on the air, Steve, more than even Fox or, or anybody. You literally had uh, awaiting Donald Trump empty podiums, right, when Hillary Clinton's giving some important speech on uh, criminal justice reform or something, right? Uh, <laughs> and then once he got the nomination, then they're like, oh, crap. Uh, and then they, <laughs> they made a hard turn right. against him. So, But once Trump came on, on board, then I suddenly wasn't getting any calls to be on uh, CNN much. Uh, and and the, the, the network changed. And now, obviously, it's trying to change again. But I, my, my question for, for you, Steve, in, in terms of covering media for so long you know it's amazing that people forget that back in 1976 Gallup does its trust in media polls uh every year and 72 percent of the country trusted the media right and now the numbers turned on its head where 84 percent blame the blame the media for dividing the country so so what happened exactly between 40 years ago and now where it's just a, a total and complete reversal of people's perception of something it once trusted yeah, you know, it's funny you cite the Gallup poll because it is it is really just the institutional poll that looks at this number, trust in media. And it has, as you mentioned, for decades and decades, and it actually is really the centerpiece of the book. It's actually how the introduction begins is, is tracing that number. And, and I, I would say, you know, you, you dig into the numbers there. The most shocking number is the independent line. Look, I think Democrats generally have trust in the media for a while, and they still have a, a general trust in, quote, the media. Republicans, less so. You know, back in the 70s and 80s, it was maybe 40 percent. Now it's like 10 percent. So, so it's been a big shift. But you look at that independent line, and even in just the last five years, that number has cut in half. I mean, I believe the number right now is about 28 percent of independents have trust in the mainstream media. That is a shocking number. And it shows it, it's it's almost, I think, fair to say it's not necessarily Trump-specific or Trump-related. Something else is happening there. And I think that there's several things happening, including the rise of social media, which has yeah. been very clarifying, I would say, you know, because we are now seeing the individuals who make up the media say what they really think in real time in a way that they never could. It it was never available. It was always behind the curtain. Well, now it's so blatant and so public and so transparent, I would say, in a negative way for the press that it's all on display. This this sort of conscious and subconscious bias that, that just is pervasive in the media and certainly has gotten worse during the Trump era. I mean, it's funny you mentioned Jeff Zucker and your time at, at CNN, and he, he was there in 2013. I worked closely with him, and, and including when you were on there in 2013. I don't think the shift necessarily was purely political. It wasn't Jeff saying, we need to have a liberal network now to compete with MSNBC. Instead, there were other biases, including just a pure financial one. You know, How do we make this network the most watched it can possibly be? Well, here's a path to do it make Trump the antagonist, make it so that there's an existential threat. Some people genuinely believe that. And then all of a sudden, the principles that maybe were there before just start loosening and loosening and loosening. And then it's just a completely different network. And the audience realized it. Well, completely. And I think that also a lot of journalists there, if you still want to call them that, 
were being rewarded for making themselves the story, right? So if Jim Acosta yeah. uh, throws a fit and, and, and does speeches uh, in the form of questions in the White House briefing room, then that got him on the air immediately right afterwards where he would talk about being a victim and eventually would get him on Kimmel and Colbert and he, he becomes a star. And, and Don Lemon and all these people who probably kept their opinions more than themselves were suddenly encouraged to do so. And then obviously it was revealed in terms of what way they leaned or at least maybe they were telling the audience what they thought uh, they wanted to hear. And we're, we're talking to Steve Krakauer. Uh, uh, and, and that's the thing, Steve, right? When you, you use the term Excella media uh, often, uh, some other people who uh, claim to be media reporters seem to take offense to that for whatever reason. But it's true yeah. uh, because if you look at the national media in terms of political media, it's based primarily in New York City and Washington, which having worked in Washington, D.C., I've taken the Excella many times. It does exist. And yes, it is a corridor of political media. And then you look at the way those cities vote, right? In, in New York City, in Manhattan alone, I think Dom, uh, Donald Trump didn't even get like 10 percent of the vote in Washington. He got something like 6% of the vote. And when you live in those fishbowls and in those ecosystems, if you try to be a good reporter who holds the powerful accountable without fear or favor to party, uh, then that may get in the way of a possible promotion down the line later. And I think we saw that this year with that NBC reporter with the Paul Pelosi story, who does a report, asks some very I think relevant questions in terms of what were the two men, the, the person who broke into the Pelosi's home and Paul Pelosi, what were they doing for the half hour before police arrived? Why did Paul Pelosi yeah. walk back towards uh, the person that eventually attacked him? And then that, that report was pulled off the air, or at least was deleted from its website. And then the reporter was suspended without any indication as to why for weeks and weeks on end. So he got punished for that, just like John Fetterman and a reporter also from NBC who, who said, yeah. I, I spoke to Fetterman and it seemed like he had trouble processing basic questions and, and having a regular conversation. And she got eviscerated by those, again, who claim to be media reporters. So I think that's the thing. I think there's a fear among many people who may want to do a truly objective, nonpartisan job. But if they do that, the mob comes for them. And before you know it, they're either suspended out of a job or that promotion goes to somebody else. Joe, I mean, that's 100 percent right. I, I completely agree. It, it's so interesting, those, those stories you just mentioned, because, first of all, yes, the Acela media, largely based in New York City and D.C., I call it that specifically because it's a geographic reference. And I do think that geographic bias is perhaps even more pervasive than a bias of of a, a political bias, you know, of just the fact that, it, you know, I, I mean, who knows, you know, mentioned Dasha Burns in the John Fetterman story, Burns, Miguel right. Amaguer in the, uh, in the Paul Pelosi story. I have no idea. They're probably liberals. They're, they're in the media. But Dasha Burns is a, is a Pennsylvania-based reporter. Miguel Amaguer is in California. These people are outside of the bubble. And apparently they started to say things that were both true but unacceptable. Suddenly, they were uh, they were not the accepted narrative of what you can say in in the current media ecosystem, especially in the case of Miguel Almaguer with the accurate, as far as we know, report on Paul Pelosi right before an election. And actually, really, the same thing is is with Fetterman as well. In in the run up to that, in the weeks leading up to it, this idea of of you know maybe raising doubts that Fetterman was not as with it as the rest of her colleagues in the media were trying to portray with John Fetterman. So so I, I think that what we're seeing is a shift, not just in bias as what as what we see there, but in in narrative and and in what is acceptable to be said in this sort of consensus that's built on Twitter and built in newsrooms in New York and D.C. And that really just works to to hurt the audience. I mean, when an audience can no longer trust that what they're getting is not just true, but almost a bias of omission. What are we not hearing? Because it's no longer acceptable for one reason or another. That just sows more distrust and erodes confidence in a press that already 
is, is losing trust from his audience. And we're talking to Steve Krakauer. Uncovered is the book, How the Media Got Cozy with Power, Abandoned Its Principles and Lost the People. Please do pre-order. It comes out in late February. And Fourth Watch is the newsletter going to Substack. Yeah, and it's funny. I got a message. I'm not going to name names, all right, but but for somebody who worked at the same publication we did. Let's put it that way. And it was a direct message, and it was about two weeks ago. And it was very pithy and obviously something that if this person picked up a phone or saw me in person, probably wouldn't say to my face, but said, you know, your anti-media is really getting old and that's all they wrote right and, and I, I ignored it uh and i and i wanted to write back i really did but i didn't want to acknowledge this person because he's just a miserable human being in general but i'm sure you could guess who this is but the point is that uh i, I am not anti-media just like you're not anti-media and i happen to think that war correspondents still do a, tr- a, a tremendous job putting their lives on the line uh, i also think that local media steve and i want to get your thoughts on this largely has not changed. In other words, when I watch the local affiliates here in New York City for ABC, CBS, NBC, it's still the same newscast that I had growing up. And and I think the reason why is they'll tell you, okay, this is where this murder happened. This is where there's massive traffic. This is who won the Yankee game. And here's your five-day weather forecast. It's so formulaic, and what it doesn't have is opinion. So I think there is some media that still does a good job. I think when we say the media, we're largely talking about political media, and that's where all the attention goes. Your thoughts? Uh, no, no, I, I completely agree. I, I think local media has – we've seen a decline in local media largely uh, because of business model, not because of a shift in maybe priorities or, or in subjectivity versus objectivity. So you know, I, I look at my Dallas Morning News newspaper that I pick up, and, and, and it's 75 percent AP stories because they just are, are losing reporters, and that, and that you know, is, is unfortunate. But, but no, I, I think the larger point is, is absolutely right as well. You know, the media is a large entity, and I – love the media. I, I, I used to be in the media. I, I you know, I, I want it to be better. I think we need a trustworthy press. And, and, and it's, you know, and there are still reporters at places like CNN and the New York Times and the Washington Post that are doing good work, but they often get overshadowed by their own colleagues on Twitter, undermining the brand on a daily basis. And, and it, it, because of that, you know, the little sparks of positive, you know, work that's being done doesn't do well on social media. You see someone like Adasha Burns get attacked by her colleagues in the press. And, and the incentive structure has changed so that the people doing good work are de-emphasized and the people that I would say are undermining their organizations but building great personal brands for themselves rises to the top. And that's, that's really where the problem lies. And it's going to take corporate media crackdowns on their own staff to say, you are hurting us. You are hurting the bottom line. You are hurting our credibility to really start to make a change here. And, and I hope it happens because I do think we need to press. And we're talking to Steve Krakauer. I wonder, Steve, and I, you've probably seen this on, on some sets that you sit on. Not, and this isn't everybody. But when you go to break, the, uh, the person who may be hosting the show or anchoring the show immediately goes to their phone or their laptop that's right there, and they want to see what's being said about them on, on social media after right. the fact. And, and I, I think that a lot of folks uh, unfortunately do that, and if there's any negative sort of reaction, then they're getting instant feedback right away. I think almost our, our anchors and reporters were better off before Twitter, for example, because – Unless you got a letter sent to the station, you, you just assume that if you did a good job and you got your facts right, then, then, then you're fine. But I, I think that social media, I think, is guiding uh, some folks in this industry to tell people what they want to hear instead of what they should hear. Yeah, I think it's guiding It's guiding the, on individual decisions made by reporters, by executives, by large media organizations. And, and it's, it, it absolutely has had a huge effect. You think of, like, what does it feel like to have – 
20, 30 people yell at you on Twitter. It probably feels very, I mean, I've had it happen many times. It's, it's a little bit alarming. It's a little bit jarring. And you might think, wow, this is, this is bad. But at the end of the day, you're talking about very online, you know, a couple dozen people. You're, 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 dis, you're doing a disservice to the larger portion of your audience that maybe doesn't think that way if all you care about is what those loudest voices on Twitter are actually saying. That's a great point. And we're, we've only got about 30 seconds, so I'm going to ask you a, a nice question here. I, I think you probably have the answer at the top of your head. What was the most underreported story of the year? 30 seconds, floor is yours. Oh, that's a good one. I mean, obviously, Elon Musk and Twitter and CNN's yeah. big management shift are, have been reported you know, in a big way. But I would say we're seeing a pendulum shift in places like the New York Times and Reuters on stories that are culturally unacceptable, but now are starting to break through. So I, I think of like the, the trans uh, issues stories that are being reported on, on the rise in young girls and, and, and the backlash and detransitioners. They're starting to break through in a way that I would have never guessed it to happen. I think we're going to see more of that in 2023 because the pendulum is actually swinging the other direction. And, and that's something that is it's certainly worth watching and, and seeing how that reaction is when, uh, when more of the press is doing that. Absolutely. It's 2023 is going to be a big year for, for Steve Krakauer. Uncovered is the book. The newsletter is Fourth Watch on Substack starting in 2023. Steve, have a happy new year and continue success. It's looking like it's going to be a big one for you. Megan's show obviously doing great. And uh, t- tell the blonde I said hello. She's uh, she's good people. <laughs> I will. Hey, Joe. Thanks. Great talking to you. All right. Thanks, Steve. And we wrap this puppy up, the Guy Benson Show, in just a moment on Fox News Radio. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. All right, we wrap this puppy up by talking about who got canceled in 2022. Oh, that's depressing. Huh? Adam Levine, my wife likes his ink. I don't know if I can do that at this point. So, uh, yeah, so he was canceled uh, just for... Uh, why, why was he canceled again? He was accused of having an affair with uh, Sumner Stroh as well as sending flirty messages to several other models. Yeah, I can't be doing that when you're married. Shia LaBeouf, wasn't he canceled like eight times already? He ruined Wall Street too, by the way. You go from Charlie Sheen to him? That movie never happened. And, and, and actually, Michael Douglas was decent at it. James Gordon, who's just a horrible human being from what I hear, uh, was, was being a jerk to uh, some wait staff as a former waiter. I particularly took offense to that. Ellen DeGeneres, uh, just for being her, I guess she was uh, canceled because she was bad to her staff, apparently. Ezra Miller, I've never heard of before in my life. Joe Rogan was not canceled. His, uh, his, uh, his audience only got bigger. This is according to the uh, New York Post, by the way. This is what I'm reading. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. No, still on the bench. Not canceled. Bette Midler. Uh, yeah, Wind Beneath My Wings was like 30 years ago, so that, that cancellation was highly unnecessary. And ticket mat. Oh, Kanye West. Yeah, I would say number one cancellation, and rightly so. Uh, when you start denying the Holocaust, that, that's when it's time to go bye-bye. Anyway, thanks so much to everybody joining today. Julie, Nicole, Tom Bevin, Steve Krakauer. Thank you for having me, and hopefully I'll be back again soon. It's the Guy Benson Show on Fox News Radio. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.